Hello, all you wonderfully strange and unusual creatures. I'm Corey. And I'm Courtney. And this is Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, a true crime show that digs into the dark depths of sinister minds, their menacing crimes, and mistakes left behind, all while sipping on a sinister cocktail masterminded by Corey for each episode. We want to first start out by saying that our sinister cocktails featured for each episode is just to help us lighten the mood a bit on the dark and horrific crimes we cover. And in no way, shape, or form, we're trying to make light of the horrific crimes. Please know our hearts go out to the victims, their families, and friends, and law enforcement affected by each of the cases we cover. Corey, what sinister cocktail have you masterminded for today's episode ending May's most shocking murders? Well, I'm going to give a shout out to my lovely co-host, Courtney, today, because this is coming straight from you. You sent me this cocktail, and I mixed it up a little different, but it turned out really tasty. I'm calling this one a death to a songbird. It's two ounces of creamy pineapple whip and four ounces of Prosecco wine. You're going to pour the creamy whipped pineapple into a chilled glass of your choice and top with a Prosecco wine. Garnish with a pineapple and a cherry and enjoy. And it's super delicious. It is. It's so good. If you've ever been to Disney World and you've had the pineapple whip there, this is like a boozy, awesome take on it. So I hope you guys enjoy. So freaking good. Thanks, Court, for sending it to me. You're welcome. (laughs) So all you strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime. I did change the name. <laughs> it's like we're not doing an Italian murder. <laughs> I just noticed that. I was that's like, really that's funny. not what we're doing. <laughs> I just fucking noticed that. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> okay, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> so, while you strange and unusual creatures, pour yourself a cocktail and settle in for this sinister true crime the death of a musical legend. Believe us, you're going to need it. On December 8th, 1980. Was it on the 8th? Yeah. Because then Dimebag Daryl's was also on the 8th? Hold on. Wait a minute. I got to pause this because now I'm- Holy shit. That's so crazy that Dimebag Daryl and John Lennon were both killed on December 8th. I didn't even recognize Dude, you know, that I during don't, my notes. You know I don't believe in coincidences, but Court, this is crazy. Crazy. This is, we were meant to, to do, do these, these two. Yeah, I'm serious. That's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. I didn't even put that together when I was doing the notes until I started reading it out loud. That's awesome. I'm super excited. I know. I was like, December 8th is not a good day <laughs> for musicians. It's a day for Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Jesus. Just saying. On December 8th, 1980, 40-year-old John Lennon, a former member of the Beatles, a band that transformed the music scene in the 1960s, was shot and killed on the steps of his Manhattan apartment by obsessed fan Mark David Chapman. Chapman had suffered years with mental illness, and after his arrest, psychiatrists deemed him a borderline psychotic. Chapman was instructed by his lawyers to plead insanity, but instead he pled guilty to murder and was sentenced 20 years to life. Today, Chapman remains behind bars. So was the murder of the legendary musician genius John Lennon a sinister mind or someone who had been suffering years with mental illness, which led him to committing murder? I'm going to go here on this one. Are you ready, Court? This is a sinister mind who found somebody with mental illness to commit this crime. That's where I'm going with mine. Just because of the research I've done on the John Lennon case. And of course, just to not surprise our listeners, I'm not a Yoko Ono fan. I do believe that she is completely one of the reasons why John Lennon is dead. But we're going to get into that in a minute. (laughs) I agree with you. I can't stand her. Poor Courtney has been listening to my rhetoric about this for a while. (laughs) 
John Lennon and Paul McCartney were the songwriting and singing team that made up part of the most popular musical group of the 20th century, the Beatles. The other half was made up of George Harrison and Ringo Starr, who sometimes wrote and sang their own songs as well. The four Brits were originally from Liverpool, England, and as a young schoolboy, Lennon was obsessed and influenced by early American rock and roll music. In 1963, the Beatles took Britain by storm with their single, Please Please Me. Beatlemania soon began spreading like wildflower, wildflowers, wildflowers. That's not what they did. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Beatlemania soon began spreading like wildfire and in 1964 reached the United States with the release of I Want to Hold Your Hand. <gasps> Such a good song. It's still one of my favorite songs. I just I love the Beatles so much. Followed by a sensational U.S. tour. Yeah. They got to remember when they first got off the plane coming over here. Remember seeing, of course, we're not old enough. I was like, we were not alive. We weren't alive. I can remember seeing the iconic videos and then first getting off the plane and just how crazy people were over them. But their music was so good. Everything they touched was so good. I cannot think of one Beatles song that I do not like. I mean, I still, to this day, when I clean house, I put on the Beatles and I rock and roll to them. I just love them. Yep. With their enthusiastic lyrics and sound, along with their good nature rebellion, the Beatles were the perfect catalyst for the shift away from the 1950s genre of music. According to Grunge.com, the Beatles' emergence onto the music scene marked a shift in both popular music and pop culture in the Western Hemisphere, and in many ways created the counterculture of the 1960s as their contemporaries and future generations looked to them as the marker for the artistic independence, fashion, style, and psychedelia that would dominate the 1960s and beyond i fucking believe that yeah they were a huge influence we're 80s babies and we're totally into the beatles my daughter what is it now gen z or whatever the hell they're called now she loves the beatles she loves listening to their music so i can totally see this i mean they touched a lot of people agreed the band sold millions of records and starred in hit movies such as 1964 a hard day's night I love. Oh my God, such a good movie. I made my husband watch it last night. I'm not going to lie. He was so mad at me. I was like, we're doing John Lennon tomorrow. We're taping. I have to watch it tonight. And he's like, fine, whatever. (laughs) Their concerts and live TV appearances were near riots with teenage girls screaming and fainting in the crowds. And my dad said, this is true. Oh yeah. So my mom was a big Beatles fan too growing up. And she was like, they were crazy over him. It was like Elvis. Like there was just this cult following behind him that still to this day, people are just crazy about him. Yep. You go anywhere into like a wedding, like a big family wedding or, you know, a big family reunion or whatever, and you get that older generation and you put Beatles on, they're all on the dance floor. Yes, they are. However, the Beatles gave up touring in 1966 to concentrate on their innovative studio recordings, such as 1967 Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. Blame that on Yoko Ono. <laughs> I knew Let's you go, were. people. I'm telling you, she's the whole reason behind why the music died. I agree with that. <laughs> I like that album. Me too. That's a good album. John Lennon would marry college sweetheart Cynthia Powell on August 23, 1962, and the two would welcome son Julian Lennon on April 8, 1963. Lennon, being on tour at the time, did not see his son until three days later, and when he finally arrived at the hospital, he said, Bloody marvelous, son. Who's going to be a famous rocker like his dad? That was my best British impression I could do. I love it. <laughs> That's exactly how he probably sounded, too. A little fucked up also. <laughs> Way to go. Good job, buddy. <laughs> But that's how he was. You know, he was just that kind of spirit about him. And that's what made him write good music, too, honestly. That and the drugs. Well, yeah. But I mean, you know, (laughs) it could be. I I just I really feel like he was just one of those magical musicians in his brain. He just he had a way with lyrics and he had a way with music. And I just I adored him for him and Paul McCartney. I mean, they were beautiful together. Damn, Yoko Ono. Did I ever tell you I saw Paul McCartney when (gasps) I was in London? I was 21. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. 
I saw him at the premiere of My Fair Lady that had, hadn't opened up in London in like 20 or something oh. years. And he was with his wife at the time who was missing the leg. I can't oh. think of what her name was. Oh, yeah. The, the, she um, was a model or something. She danced on Dancing with the Stars, too. Yes. Yep. That was her. And they I don't remember if they were married or if they were dating, but nobody was coming up to them. It's not like in America. Like, everybody left them alone, and I didn't want to be that stupid American. It was like, hey, can I have your autograph? Hey, I love you. At <laughs> one point, I thought I was going to marry you. Like, <laughs> I still regret that to this day, though. <laughs> I saw him from afar. That's We really made cool. eye contact. <laughs> it was a moment. We it had a, a moment. moment. <laughs> he may not have known it was a moment, but it was a moment. It was a moment. <laughs> In 1967, Cynthia found letters from Yoko Ono to Lennon which indicate he had been having contact with her over a period of time. That fucking slutty bitch. Mm-hmm. I don't like her. She had her sights set on him from afar for a very long time before she ever even met him. Agreed. Lennon denied he was involved with Yoko Ono, explaining that she was just some crazy artist who wanted to be sponsored. Although Yoko Ono kept up a stream of telephone calls and visits to Kenwood, Lennon and Yoko had met in November of 66 when Yoko was preparing to open an art exhibit called Unfinished Paintings and Objects. Well, that sounds like a shitty exposition. This woman is a classic case of psychopath. I'm not kidding, Court. When you listen to her talk in interviews, when you watch how she handled herself around him and how she handled him, complete utter psychopath like she was in control she was domineering there wasn't a thing he couldn't have done without her permission it got so bad to some points where he literally became the joke of parties because the way she controlled him she's not a good person i'm sorry not at all on november 8th 1968 cynthia and lennon would divorce on march 20th 1969 john lennon married guess who yoko ono yep In 1975, after John Lennon had spent more than a decade with the Beatles and the first half of the 1970s as a successful solo artist, he took a step back from music with the birth of his second child, Sean Lennon, with wife Yoko Ono. Eventually, Lennon returned to music and in November of 1980, released the album Double Fantasy. Does this surprise you, Court? I mean, think of the timeline here. So I've always had a really big just, ugh. She so totally had something to do with this. She makes him take a step back from music because she's had her one and only child with him. Then after that, from his release date, a month later, he's dead. Give me a fucking break. I don't believe in coincidences and you know I don't, Court. There's so much more to this that nobody ever even looked into, in my opinion, sorry. And she gained control of him and she has that ability to control him. She's controlling her son, Sean, right now with everything he does. Like, she is so controlling. It's crazy. Well, I think she's dead now, isn't she? You know that bitch is still living because fucking satan don't want her to come down and take over oh, she's still alive fuck she's Isaiah. 90 fucking bitch is 90 she fucking hanging on <laughs> it's because the devil doesn't know what to do with her you good lord he's like mm, i don't want that one. Oh, she's so terrible she is on december 8th 1980 at 11:30 a.m lennon and yoko opened up their new york apartment located in the famous dakota building to photographer annie lebowitz from rolling stone magazine to do a photo shoot for the magazine Lebowitz promised that a photo of the two of them naked together would make the front cover of the magazine. Although Yoko Ono did not want to be naked, Lennon insisted that both he and his wife be on the cover. After taking the photos, Lebowitz left their apartment at about 3.30 p.m. I have a hard time with this. I feel like she wanted to be in that photo. She did. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Like, I mean, give me a freaking... Okay, I'm just saying. Just think of how much control, Court, she had in this situation. That he had to tell them, no, in order to be on the cover, me and my naked wife are going to have to be on it together. Like, that's some seriously fucked up psychological shit she's pulling with John Lennon. Uh, fucking agree. After the photo shoot, Lennon gave what would be his last interview to RKO Radio Network San Francisco DJ Dave Sholin and writer-producer Lori Kai. 
During the interview, Lennon said that he hoped he dies before his wife, stating, If Yoko died, I wouldn't know how to survive. I couldn't carry on. Strangely enough, he would be dead just hours later. I'm telling you, no matter how many people try to convince me differently, all this kind of stuff starts to add up after a while when you really start to look at it. And she had the power of manipulation and she was so good at it that she could have convinced anybody to do anything she wanted if she could get their grips in them. So I'm sorry, but Mr. Chapman, I guarantee you had they looked deeper into their past, they crossed paths somewhere. I can totally see that. Because John Lennon was starting to pick up his music again. He was starting to release his album. He was starting to do it again. And she was going to lose hold over him. And she was scared. I can totally see that. Um, Unbeknownst to Lennon, 25-year-old Mark David Chapman had been waiting outside the Dakota since early morning for Lennon and had become distracted, causing him to miss seeing Lennon step out of a cab and enter the Dakota that morning. Chapman then spent the rest of the day near the entrance talking to fans and the doorman. Fucking creepy. Yep. Later in the morning, Chapman met Lennon's family nanny, Helen Seaman, who was returning from a walk with Lennon's five-year-old son, Sean, at the time. Chapman reached in front of the housekeeper to shake Sean's hand and said that he was a beautiful boy, quoting Lennon's song, Beautiful Boy, Darling Boy. Fucking creepy. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You don't get this kind of close access. You know what I mean? Fucking weird. Mm Mm-hmm. According to biography, Chapman was born on May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas. From an early age, he suffered with mental illness and at the age of 16 became a born-again Christian. However, this did not improve Chapman's mental health. In 1977, after moving to Hawaii, Chapman attempted suicide and two years later married a travel agent named Gloria Abe and worked as a security guard. I feel sorry for this Gloria Abe. (laughs) Me too. Good Lord. However, Chapman's mental state was still an issue. In the years leading up to Lennon's murder, Chapman developed a series of obsessions, including artwork and the music of Todd Rundgren. Lennon was not Chapman's first target, however. According to the New York Post, Chapman had considered assassinating Presidents Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) I feel like he might have shared the same mental health with the guy who tried to murder Reagan. Agreed. (laughs) What's his name? Hinkley? Hinkley? Hinkley. Yeah. He also contemplated killing other public figures, including Johnny Carson, Elizabeth Taylor, and Paul McCartney. I know. Think about it. When you talk about somebody that's mentally ill, this totally fits his profile. But he doesn't just get there by himself. Something had to plant this kind of stuff in his brain. I agree with that. Lennon was chosen by Chapman as he felt the artist's wealth and success had made him a fraud. The book, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Solinger, took on great personal significance for him, to the extent that he wished to model his life after the novel's protagonist, Holden Caulfield, and said he was inspired by the fictional character. You fucked up, mister. I know. You are fucked up. up. (laughs) You are a whole different realm than we are. One of the novel's main themes is Caulfeld's rage against adult hypocrisy and phonies. Chapman claimed that he had been enraged by Lennon's infamous remark in 1966 that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. <laughs> Give me a break. I don't know why this tickles me. I'm like, I feel like they might have been. <laughs> um, I think they were at that point. I mean, we are in the epicenter of free, you free know, love and yeah, yeah. sex and all that good stuff. And God has definitely been pushed to the back burner on, in this time period, I should say. I feel like the 1960s is when I should have been born. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I would have definitely fit better back then. You know what I mean? I'm just, I think we're both kind of old souls, me and you in court. So I think we Absolutely. would have <laughs> done well in those time periods. Might not have survived them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would have. I don't think I would have at all. I think I would have probably went down the wrong path for sure. But to me, I'll be honest with you, this is where like you really see Chapman's unstability really start to come through. And throughout his time period, he blames so many people for why he killed Lennon. 
But he never goes back to Yoko Ono. But I'm telling you, something about this case, the more I research it, the more I look into it, the more it fits the profile of her domineering personality and his weak personality coming together to commit the ultimate murder because she was losing her hold on John Lennon. He had got back into the music. She had lost her hold. She had a kid to keep him away. And then, boom, he goes back into it again because her ultimate goal was to make herself famous, not John Lennon. I agree with that. Chapman was also enraged by Lennon's lyrics in the songs God, in which Lennon states that he does not believe in the Beatles, God, or Jesus, and his song Imagine, where Lennon states Imagine no possessions, yet had a lavish lifestyle, making Lennon a phony, according to Chapman. See, that's just all stuff that can be put in his head, but details that he wouldn't know unless he knew insight into his personal life. You know what I mean? So that's what tells me more that Yoko Ono had more to play in this crime than people are give her credit for. <laughs> I feel like we might hear from her on this one. (laughs) (laughs) She's 90 and probably a nursing home somewhere. I mean, let's get real. That bitch ain't in a nursing home somewhere. (laughs) No, she's pulling the puppet strings on somebody else for sure. That's right. Her son. Chapman had no prior criminal convictions and had just resigned from his job as a security guard in Hawaii right before the murder. On his last day of work as a security guard, Chapman signed out of his shift as usual, but he wrote John Lennon instead of his real name. What the fuck? Yeah, he was already really, you know, affixed on him. Like, he really had him in his brain. Yep. He then prepared to fly to New York City. Chapman planned to kill Lennon over several months. On October 27, 1980, Chapman purchased a five-foot... A five-foot. <laughs> five-foot. I was like, that's a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big gun. On October 27, 1980, Chapman purchased a five-shot thirty-eight caliber charter arms revolver in Honolulu. After contacting the Federal Aviation Administration to learn the best way to transport a revolver, he then flew to New York City on October 29th. Chapman learned that bullets can be damaged on a plane, so he arrived without the ammunition. He left New York on the 12th or 13th of November and then flew back to New York City on December 6th, checking into the Upper West Side YMCA for a night before moving to a Sheraton Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Now how he afford that? But nobody ever looked into it. He went from the YMCA to the Sheraton. Give me a fucking break. Somebody was paying it. Somebody was paying it. I'm just saying. Also, that's an expensive flight from Honolulu to New York to do it twice. Yep. I'm just saying. And I mean, you could afford that on a security guard salary? No. Not back in that time period of 1980. Later in the day, on December 8th, around 5 p.m., Lennon and Yoko left their apartment at the Dakota to head out for a musical session at the Record Plant Studio. Now, before Lennon could get into an awaiting limousine, fans descended on him asking for autographs. Lennon happily stopped and signed a few autographs. One of the fans was, guess who? Mark David Chapman. Yep, Mark David Chapman, who got his album of Double Fantasy signed and a photo taken with Lennon. What the actual fuck? I know. That's Seriously. fucking crazy and creepy. As Lennon and Yoko Ono climbed into the limo and headed to the studio, Chapman remained in front of the infamous Dakota where the couple lived. Chapman later said of the moment, He was very kind to me, ironically very kind and was very patient with me. The limousine was waiting and he took his time with me and he got the pen going and signed my album. He asked me if I needed anything else and I said no, no sir, and he walked away. Very cordial and a decent man. Yeah, you decide to fucking kill him, you piece of shit. Yeah, but yeah, you decide to take his life. Yeah, Mm mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's so fucked up in so many ways. So I can't beyond even... fucked up. It's, it's just terrible. God. 
At around 10.50 p.m. that night, Lennon and his wife, Yoko, returned to their apartment at the Dakota. As Lennon and Yoko walked towards the entrance of the building, Chapman, at close range, raised his 38 Special Revolver and fired five hollow-point bullets, with four of them hitting Lennon in the back. Lennon staggered into the building, crying out, I'm shot! According to Chapman, Yoko ducked for cover when she heard the shots and then rushed to hold her husband after she realized he had been attacked. Oh, yeah. Just get that perfect picture shot of her caring for him. Yeah, like the loving wife. Mm Mm-hmm. Chapman removed his coat and voluntarily patiently waited at the scene of the crime to be arrested, reading The Catcher in the Rye, the novel that he was obsessed with. This is so fucked up. Like, he doesn't even try to get away. He just sits there and waits. And Yoko Ono just lets him. I'm just going to pull out this book and just hear and read it. Like, she just lets him. It's fucking crazy. Okay, Court, if me and you saw our husband get shot in front of us and the person is just sitting there, I I think our reaction would be very different. I would have stole the gun and shot him. Point blank in the head and been like, I'm going to prison to you. Yeah, you just took the person. I mean, no. And she's just like, I'm going to hold him for beautiful photos and he's going to sit there and read The Catcher in the Ride. Give me a fucking break. It's crazy. Beyond crazy. That is, oh, so beyond it. It is. Lennon, bleeding profusely, was rushed to Roosevelt Hospital in a police car, but sadly died en route. On December 8, 1980, at 11.15 p.m., John Lennon was pronounced dead. Later in an interview, Chapman recounted the night of the murder, stating, I stood there with the gun hanging limply down at my side. Jose, the doorman, came over and he was crying. He was grabbing and shaking my arm and he shook the gun right out of my hand, which was a very brave thing to do to an armed person. And he kicked the gun across the pavement. He shook it out of his... Are you fucking kidding me, Court? I don't know that I've ever heard that kind of reaction. You know what I mean? He could just shake it out of his hand. People who go this far don't just get a gun shaken out of their hand. No. Look at the last case we covered with Dimebag Daryl. Yeah, they had to shoot him to get to, you know, get a hold of him. He didn't just willy-nilly be like, okay, I'm going to let go of this gun. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, it got shaken out of my hand. No. St- uh-uh. Chapman went on to say in an interview, John came out and he looked at me and I think he recognized here's the fellow that I signed the album earlier and walked past me. That's fucked up. That's crazy and creepy. But that's how far his mental health was so deteriorated at this point, too. So crazy. John Lennon's body was cremated two days after his death and his ashes were delivered to his grieving widow. That fucking bitch. That's a lot to do within a very short period of time. I don't know that John Lennon and Yoko Ono ever had a necessary conversation about his death, but I feel like that's a very quick decision to make in a very short period of time with a traumatic thing that just happened with your husband getting shot right in front of you. Well, I would have thought that the autopsies would have taken fucking longer than that. Well, autopsies usually only take about 24 hours anyway, but I'm just saying, like for you to make that kind of decision that fast... That's quite fast, especially with the traumatic event of having him killed right in front of you and you knew nothing about it. Agreed. For a week, hundreds of grief-stricken fans kept a vigil outside the Dakota, and demonstrations of mourning were held around the world. Yoko Ono memorialized Lennon by landscaping a section of Central Park across the street from the Dakota in honor of her husband, known now as Strawberry Fields. Yeah, I mean, it would be touching if she wasn't a fuck-up. I can't well, stand I'm sorry. You're never going to convince me she didn't have something to do with this. It's kind of like the OJ case. I'm not saying she did it. I'm just saying she had something to do with it. Following the murder of Lennon, Chapman's legal team intended to mount an insanity defense based on the testimony of mental health experts who said that he was in a delusional psychotic state and psychiatrists deemed him borderline psychotic. Well, you fucking think? I know to be able to pull off that kind of crime and have like no remorse to yourself. Yeah, hell yeah. Read a fucking book like it was nothing. I know. You're just waiting on a bus to get here. Good Lord. Chapman was more than cooperative with the prosecutor who argued that all of his symptoms fell short of schizophrenia diagnosis. 
He was instructed by his lawyers to plead insanity. However, as the trial approached, Chapman instructed his lawyers that he wanted to plead guilty based on what he had decided was the will of God. Uh, he's a little fucked up. <laughs> a little? Now we're citing God here? I mean, it does go along with his storyline of he was mad that Lennon had pretty much defaced God anyway in his own lyrics and stuff, but still very off. It is. The judge granted Chapman's request and deemed him competent to stand trial. Chapman was found guilty of second-degree murder and given a sentence of 20 years to life with the stipulation that mental health treatment would be provided. Well, I fucking hope so. I mean, it just still blows my mind that you're able to kill at that level. Take somebody's life at that level. And you get 20 years with some mental health treatment. Like, that's all John Lennon was worth? It just kills me. That's a very low sentence. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I'm surprised they didn't fucking... Well, is New York a death penalty seeking state? I don't think it was back then. No. Well, there you go. Chapman refused requests for press interviews during his first six years in prison. He later said that he regretted the murder and did not want to give the impression that he killed Lennon for fame or notoriety. In 2000, Chapman became eligible for parole, but New York State prison officials denied his parole, telling Chapman that his vicious and violent act was apparently fueled by his need to be acknowledged. Fucking agree. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't care what this guy says. He wanted the acknowledgement. He wanted the attention. Agreed. Since then, Chapman has been denied parole every time he has been eligible and still remains behind bars. And he should, honestly. This is a man that if he went to the mental state that he's at, I don't know that you can ever really fix that. Now, Court, your dad's in the mental health business. He has been retired now, but he was. I guarantee you he would agree when somebody gets to that mental state of where you're able to do what this guy did, Chapman did, it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to, to deem them ever stable enough to be out in society and not be a danger because you never know when they could snap and go back to the other way again. Agreed. I mean, even as much as our heartbreaks for Andrea Yates that we covered. Her mental health was so deteriorated. We don't see her coming back out either. No, I don't see her ever I being mean, a not danger to society. Because if she ever were to be able to have a child again, that child would always be in danger because agreed. of her mental health. Agreed. So the same thing here with this guy. He would just affixate on another person. But I, I really think that his combination of his mental health, his mental illness, along with, I don't care what anybody tells me, everywhere I look in this case, Yoko Ono has got her fingers in it. Somehow, some way. And I'm not saying I don't know the truth, right? I don't know that Yoko Ono, it was never investigated. Nobody ever knows. I just say that she's really too close to comfort for my taste. I agree with that. And it wouldn't take much to meet somebody like this and be able to set them up to do what that needed to be done. Because she was really losing her grip with them. All right, Corey. I know this was a short one, but... Well, it's pretty cut and dry. it's pretty cut and dry. When you kill somebody and you sit there and read a novel while they wait for the cops to get there, I mean, it's not going to be a difficult one for you. Really, I I chalk it up to the mistake of him not having good security. John Lennon, as popular as he was, as great as he was, he should have had some kind of security on him. For sure. I know they had it when they went on tours. I know they did all that. He should have had better security. I think that probably would have protected him a lot. And he should have picked a better mate. No offense. I I mean, I just, Yoko Ono is, she's still to this day, probably one of the most complex psychopaths. Just from what I know, I don't know her personally. Let's get this clear. This is just my opinion of observations that I've seen of her and listen to her interviews with different people, including John Lennon back in the day. She's a very controlling, dominating personality. And there's not a doubt in my mind that when somebody says that they couldn't live without the other person, they wouldn't even know how to proceed. You're completely being dominated over, right? Agreed. You're, you're no longer of your own sound mind and body. You're being dominated over by somebody. So whether Yoko Ono had something to do with this crime or not, I don't know. But it's too close for comfort for me is what I should say. I definitely agree with that. Well, as always, stay, stay strange and unusual. We'll be back next week with another cocktail and a new tale of sinister minds or menacing crimes and mistakes they left behind. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and download us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, 
or wherever you listen to your favorite show. Want the recipe to try Corey's Sinister Cocktail from today's episode? Or have any constructive feedback or true crime stories you would like to hear us cover? Or even Sinister Cocktail recipes for us to try? Email us at SinisterCrimesAndCocktails at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.SinisterCrimesAndCocktailsPodcast.com, Facebook page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails, and our Instagram page, Sinister Crimes and Cocktails. Love what you heard and want to help support our show or donate to our Sinister Cocktail Fund? You can donate to our cash app at money sign Sinister Crimes, all one word, and we will give you a shout out on our next episode and which fund you donate to. Thank you. (laughs) 